You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. I want to thank the president. It's a great honor to be introduced by him, and uh, I'm not worthy of this, but I I do hope that 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 little bit at least was recorded. (laughs) The rest of you can turn it off now, but I want to send that first little bit to my mother. (laughs) You all know that when people come up here to speak, they always say that it's a great burden, uh, that they struggled against it, that they worried, that the Lord had to knock them on the head. But you think that's not true. You think to yourselves, it looks pretty easy. And I wish I had a chance. All these people listening, I've got some things to say to this group that they have got to hear. I know what you think. Well, you're wrong. It really is hard. (laughs) It's hard for a lot of reasons. For one thing, a speaker in chapel has to please everybody. Not just everybody in this room. Not just everybody in this community. People a thousand miles away you've got to please. You've got to please people who are dead. I've got to please all these people. You see their pictures on the wall? I mean, they've they've been dead since the Ice Age. And I've got to please them. And secondly, you might not know this, but secondly, a speaker in chapel is beset with temptations that do not usually come along in the normal course of life. You know, it doesn't doesn't occur to you until you're up here and all these helpless listeners. You have an irresistible, almost irresistible, pray God I resist the temptation to deliver little extraneous opinions that I've got on all kinds of things. This is my great opportunity to tell you what I think about grammar, about worship music, or about politics. I've fought it down. (laughs) Hopefully. And we have visitors. I don't want to please the visitors. I want the visitors to think. I want the visitors to know that chapel is a worthwhile and agreeable experience. So we have visitors. That's an extra burden, I may just say, after all that the president and Mr. Wiggum said about this being the crucial interlude in your visit. My heart sinks. And then, of course, of course, any speaker wants to please God. And I think I have stumbled onto, guided onto, a a topic that will serve all of these purposes. I found something that's actually in the Bible. It's written about in the Bible everywhere. Uh, Something which I think interests students, visitors, students alike. And something which I will please God, which will please God. And that something is love. (laughs) Love. Now, you know from Matthew, the 22nd chapter, starting in the 36th verse, that whenever our Lord Jesus Christ was asked a question, he always gave a perfect answer, even if it was a trick question, as it was in that particular case. And in that passage, uh, he tells the trick questioners, the trick questioner, ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And our Lord says, the greatest commandment is that you love God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your whole mind. And he says, Mr. Smarty, I'll give you a second commandment that always follows the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice notice this, please. In this passage and many other passages, with his whole life, our Lord Jesus Christ made perfectly clear that the great commandment, 
We should love him with our whole heart and our whole soul and our whole mind, and we should love our neighbor as ourselves, comes together. They are always together. They are always in tandem. They are twin parts of the same command. So far, so good. But it may be that love is not what you think it is. There's a very real possibility that love is not what you think it is. It may be that you think love is something less than what it is or something different from what it is. You may not realize what love really is. Love is a command. And to love is to obey that command. So the first thing that love is, it is an act of the will. Love is an act of the will. The sainted John Wesley, in heaven with our numerous holiness forebears here, lo these many centuries, the founder of our tradition, who was a great student of the classics, was Wesley. And he knew that the Romans believed that virtue was action. And he knew that the Romans were half right. They were right to the extent that there is no virtue without action. Actually, we can refine it more. There is no virtue without an intention of the will. That virtue means intent. He even said, and I like this, he even said that holiness, holiness can be understood as purity of intention. For the Bible department, I want to say that I got that from John Wesley, comma, plain account of Christian perfection, London, <laughs> Epworth publisher, page 109. Love is purity of intention. Before I go any further, I want to say something about faith. Faith is also an act of the will. It's a response, but it is nevertheless an act of the will. God always takes the initiative. He has already taken the initiative. His Holy Spirit goes abroad in the land, and His blessed Holy Spirit breathes on little, nearly dead, very cool, small, few, flickering embers in the hearts of even the most hardened, even the most ignorant, the most depraved people. And it's their responsibility, as it was once ours or will be ours in the future, to respond. That even faith is an act of the will. It does not matter how you feel about it. It doesn't even matter primarily what you believe about it. For instance, you may believe that it's not possible. What matters is what you want to believe. Because if you have enough faith to hope, you can be saved. Let me say that again. If you have enough faith to hope, you can be saved. Being saved, coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, is the only place in the world that I know of that wishful thinking counts. If you have enough faith to hope, you can be saved. Now let me return to love which follows faith in any case. Remember I said that love is an act of the will. It is an obedience to a command. Well, you're going to say, some of you already have said, uh, what about our old friend emotion? Mm, what about emotion? Emotion is a, for most people, emotion is for almost everybody. Emotion is um, a physical and psychic response to what's happening. For some people who are gifted, with a tender and sensitive nature, they should count that a blessing, uh, that they are responsive to subtle nuances of importance or meaning or, or blessing. Uh, to, have a, to have a tender and sensitive nature, uh, to be easily moved by scriptural truths or by recollections of happy and blessed experiences is in fact a gift. It's an especial blessedness. I don't speak against that. Love, I mean, emotion is is good. Emotion is wonderful. But 
a motion is not a necessary condition for the transaction because we have the gifts in jars of clay. We, we are earthen vessels so that it'll be clear that the power in us is God's and not ours. I say that because people vary dramatically in their capacity to feel and express emotion. Oh, they do, I didn't know. Yes. I wouldn't have to go very far to find somebody in this room who would respond to the saddest and the most touching and the most moving statements with all of the emotional response that you might expect from a concrete duck. <laughs> in no way does that diminish or weaken or negate the fact that such a person has a genuine experience. The way we experience and the way we express uh, our experiences in the Holy Spirit, our experiences in the Word, vary by, uh, according to our hormones, our personality, the way we were raised, the circumstances that we're in. Now, it is true. It is true that the Bible promises joy. True, true, true. Joy. But biblical joy is gratitude. It is peace. It is release. It is relief. It is great pleasure. But the way you express it varies from person to person by your hormones, your physical makeup, uh, the circumstances in which you were raised, the way you were raised, your personality type, and the circumstances that you find yourself in. So that emotion is not necessary. To love is to obey. It is an act of the will. Now, there's another reason why emotion is not necessary. I mean, there's a logical reason, which I've already given you. But there's another reason, a practical reason. And that is that emotions are not only not necessary, they can, be, they can play as false. They can do harm. Now, I'll explain how that can be. It is entirely possible for a person of an emotional disposition or a group of people with an emotional disposition to be moved to the place, false, wrong, hurtful place, where they imagine that they personally are feeling blessed and happy and cheerful and pumped and energized and that therefore they cannot go any further with God. They don't need to. I have all of God that I need. This is a terrible mistake. But I have hope. I have hope for all of you. I have hope for you as a student body because there are two things about you. And the president alluded to one of them. There are two things about you that I have learned over many years and which I particularly treasure. The first thing is that you are teachable. It is a pleasure to teach you. And it's even more of a pleasure when you teach back. For instance, last Monday in chapel, a student chapel, uh, helped me enormously. I was, we, had a, we had a student forum Tuesday night. You can teach back, and that's wonderful too. You're very teachable. And the second nice thing about you is that you're hopeful. You might think that's a common enough thing for college students to be, young people to be, but you'd be mistaken. Uh, you are marked off from the great bulk of your age peers in that you are not cynical. You're not a sour. You're not closed-minded. You're not living in a kind of a blind despair that there's no meaning of life, uh, no real hope for the terrible problems that beset you and uh, stir in your hearts and stir around you and seem to face you when you graduate. I'm speaking of secular-minded students now. You're not like that. You are full of hope. Institutions could be misled by emotion as well, I'm sorry to say. Now, you visitors will know already from an adequate supply of brochures, which I hope was made available, pointing out to you that Asbury has won all kinds of awards and features prominently in numerous very prestigious surveys of a national sort. <laughs> Do not forget any of this. <laughs> Refresh your memories with the brochures. 
after chapel. <laughs> Nevertheless, an institution has no more right scripturally to come to the place where it can say collectively, we are blessed and we need no more of the Holy Spirit, and we need no more of the Holy Spirit except in the form we are accustomed to having Him come than we have presently. That is a mistake. But I, but I'll, I will say that uh, there's hope for the college as well. You'll be glad to know. Very hopeful. Asbury's full of hope. Asbury's a hopeful place. That's another nice thing about it. Hopeful place. It just bubbles hope. <laughs> I'm going to thank NASA. Asbury got a little something out of NASA for our share of the 1800 homongozillion dollars that it took to put two robot cameras on Mars. We got something pretty neat we can use. We got the names of those two little rovers. Spirit and opportunity. Perfect. Asbury's a place of spirit and opportunity. Oh, I just thought of something funny. <laughs> I did. I just thought of this. I hope those NASA people are open-minded. <laughs> I, I hope that as they're searching for signs of life up there, that they haven't completely precluded, precluded the possibility that Mars people look exactly like rocks. <laughs> and they eat sand. And they're real shy. <laughs> they only move and talk to each other when nobody's looking. <laughs> Second thing about love. First thing is an act of the will. The second thing is that it's active. It's not contemplative. This is one of the, this I'm going to say, that a recognition that love is active it's immediate and it's practical, is probably the greatest gift that Protestantism has given to the body of Christ on earth. The Roman Catholic Church, of which I have great fondness, or for which I hold great fondness, nevertheless entertains the idea that it's possible to be a completely fulfilled Christian living alone, ministering alone, being ministered to alone, praying alone. I don't believe that that's true. I believe that love, if it is not given expression, if it does not have company, will gradually die. Love must be active to live. And I'll give you an illustration that would have been used by the Salvation Army 100 years ago when they had industrial homes uh, for men and cared for transient homeless men. The Salvation Army in those days used to think of themselves, used to picture themselves as people in a lifeboat or people on a rock in the stormy sea. And there's people drowning in the stormy sea and they're throwing out lifelines. It's an old Salvation Army song. Throw out the lifeline across the dark wave. There is a brother whom someone can save inexplicably omitted from the latest edition of our songbook. <laughs> so picture this. I'll give you a picture of active love. Picture this. A man's on a ship, falls off, bloop, into the water. <laughs> People gather around and they say various things. The first person says, he deserved it. He was drunk. He didn't take care. He didn't obey the rules and he shouldn't have been in this part of the ship. Next person says, it's the fault of the ship design. I noticed this when I got on board. The rails are too low. I predicted this would happen. This just confirms my wise knowledge of ship structure. <laughs> Somebody else says, he's not really drowning, he's playing. <laughs> he wants attention. He wants us to feel sorry for him. Another person says, I can save this person, I think, because, because I have a rope in my hand, perfect, except... The rope may not be strong enough or long enough. I don't want to risk my reputation by throwing out a rope that's not strong enough and not long enough. I have it. More facts. It's time for the captain's emergency 
Rope Tensile Strength Analysis Task Force to meet. Another person says, it's not my responsibility. Do I look like a member of the crew here? <laughs> Somebody else says, oh, I think he is drowning. I don't think he's faking at all. I've never seen anybody drown before. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon. I'm going to do a survey. I'm going to write a report. I'm going to get something published. I'm going to get a whole doctoral dissertation out of that. Drowning. <laughs> then the next person looks and says, I don't see anybody. They look, it looks like he's gone. Problem solved. <laughs> what a relief. Went on much longer. I'd had to do something. So love is active. It is immediate and it is practical. You know that our Lord Christ told us what the great commandment was, but he also told us what love and neighbor means. In the 10th chapter of Luke, a person uh, actually gave him that answer, explained to Jesus what, or repeated to Jesus what the great commandment was. It tells the story a little bit differently in Luke 10. And our Lord then goes on to explain with the parable of the Good Samaritan what love is and what neighbor is. And with the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I need not cite to you because you are perfectly familiar with it, he defines love in this way. Love is doing the best thing for another person without allowing the cost to deter you. And who is neighbor? Neighbor is anyone whom you can help now. That's what love is, and that's what neighbor is. Anyone that you can help now is your neighbor. Now, of course, you're going to say, off the hook, what a relief, because I don't see anybody drowning. And when I go to the cafeteria, do I see people starving along the roadside or beat up or need my... No, I don't. Off the hook. Let me read to you from Rick Warren, uh, the Purpose Driven, uh, Driven Church, which uh, Mr. Meeker cited favorably, wisely, uh, on Monday. This is from Rick Warren. We are often challenged to do great things for God. Actually, God is more pleased when we do small things for him out of loving obedience. They may be unnoticed by others, but God notices them and considers them acts of worship. Great opportunities may come once in a lifetime, but small opportunities mm, surround us every day, even through such simple acts as telling the truth, being kind, and encouraging others, we bring a smile to God's face. God treasures simple acts of obedience more than our prayers, praise, or offering. The Bible tells us that in God's eyes, obedience is better than sacrifice. Now, this is the third point and my last point. Love is not a small part of your plan. Love is not a small part of the big picture. Love is the big picture. And the fact that you do not have any dramatic opportunities surrounding you right now has no more bearing on whether you should obey God's command to love than how you feel about it. Now let me give you some little examples here. Think nice. Never mind, you're going to save the people in Bekuana land. Let's start right here in our little community where you are right now. Whom can you love Right now, whom can you help now? Think nice. Think of kind things to say and do, encouraging things, sweet-spirited things, generous things, courteous things, and do them. Pretty complicated. <laughs> in Ephesians, we're told to be kind to one another. In 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, to comfort one another, to uplift one another, to edify one. You know what edify means? I'll tell you what edify means in a Christian college environment. It means help each other to learn. Now, this is not optional. It's not, well, I agree with what he's saying. How can you not agree? That seems pretty scriptural. <laughs> Yawn. But I've got a lot to do. This is not going to be high priority for me. Uh, what is your life? 
This is James 4, 17 through 18. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. You ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Listen to this. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. Think nice. Do nice. Secondly, think unnice. Think unkind, cruel, cutting, sarcastic, witty, competitive, ungenerous, unhelpful things to say or do, and don't do them. I'll give you a little rule in life, which I would to God that I had learned much earlier. Whenever you think or say, I probably shouldn't say this, you're right. <laughs> the third thing about love is that it is not to be confused with romantic love or any kind of affection. To have an affectionate nature, to be a loving person, to like people, to be a people person, are all good things. Uh, they're wonderful endowments. Uh, they're not to be gainsaid. They're gifts that everybody should hope for. But in fact, love is a conscious decision to obey God's command. To love God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your whole mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now let me leave you with two thoughts from the scriptures. The first is from Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. Loving other people in these practical ways is the only proof that you can give that is scripturally satisfying to God and to other persons, believers or other, otherwise, believers or unbelievers, that you love them. For people do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good person out of the heart brings forth good, i.e., a person who is good will produce good. That's the first thing. Second thing is, loving other people is the only proof to the unsaved that you love God. Period. No matter what you say, no matter how, what music you can produce, or what edifices you can produce, or what dissertations, what titles, degrees, what accomplishments you can produce or you can cite, the only thing that really matters to the unsaved is whether Christians are genuinely loving to one another. The second scripture I want to leave with you, a new commandment I give to you, commandment I give to you. He says in John, if you love me, keep my commandments. But back to this passage. This is John 2, John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now I want to pray and then you're dismissed. Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving us your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Amen.